When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I don't ask anybody's question but yours. You're an idiot. And really a disloyal person. Hi, folks, and welcome to this week's edition of Disloyal Idiots, a Fans First Sportsnet production. We had some technical difficulties, as we're still in preseason mode as well, so you may have missed the first five or six minutes of the episode. Uh, Most of it was recapping some of the TBT action. Uh, We will get you directly into the remainder of TBT conversation, as well as the fall ball stuff, starting now. Well, fast break point advantage for for uh in in favor of, of the herd team so yeah i think a zone could have helped so it's good to see that there's there's still an aliveness to a zone if you will maybe we'll see it this year i don't know we'll see every defense this year christian <laughs> see every defense we'll see every offense we'll see a lot of weird things we will see a lot of odd things yes but i think I think going back to that first point like that I mentioned to kind of kick this off, I think, yeah, it was more this kind of revitalized, I think, a lot of interest in TBT and the Syracuse alumni team and in Bayheim's Army uh, for a lot of fans because of that disappointment of last year. And so now maybe you'll start to see, you know, other couple more players, you know, maybe have more interest in joining the program having or joining the team. And maybe it's a... Um, and maybe it convinces a Tyus Battle or Malachi Richardson to, you know, maybe not stay overseas as long as such. I mean, spoiler for those who don't know, those are the main reasons why Malachi Richardson, Tyus Battle, and Matt Morgan weren't available for Syracuse. It's because they were locked into those uh, overseas contracts that they were playing for their other teams. At least that's what I believe was the case for Tyus and Matt Morgan. I'm not sure if it was the same for Malachi Richardson or not. Um, but I mean, they're having pretty good overseas careers. And so, you know, those seasons are still going. So that's why maybe, you know, another deep run, you know, Sean Bilby next year when he's recruiting the team can maybe bring in someone else that is going to be Grant Riller somehow. Since we're on the subject of like recruitment, maybe Steve, you can start with this one first. So we were doing a lot of like every time there was a sign and kind of break it all down, you get a lot of kind of reactions to different guys joining the roster. Do you think that there should be, for the most part, at least like, let's say 75% of the team or more should be Syracuse alum, or do you not factor that much into the equation in building Bayham's army? It's... It's very weird from the fan base standpoint because some people, that's their only draw for it. Uh, whereas others, you know, similar to myself, it's like, all right, you get a Q score, you get a couple of guys can win some games, and you make it happen. And that that makes much more sense to me than sitting staunchly by the we have to be only Syracuse all the time. I don't know. I, I don't know why. Why you wouldn't have enjoyment watching some Syracuse alums with other folks uh, with a primarily Syracuse-based coaching staff and various other things. And, uh, you know, for some reason, it it just seems like it works with the nice mix. But it it was also enjoyable back in the day when it was strictly Syracuse alums uh, from a nostalgia standpoint, not from a team construction standpoint, as we saw. I mean, yeah. when we, when Syracuse first won TBT, it was off the back of Kiefer Sykes, DeAndre Kane, and DJ Kennedy. Yep. So you you know those are the guys that are um the, the non-Cuse alumni essentially 
are the ones who carried the team and carried the program. I mean, look at the starting lineup versus her, heard that in, in the semifinal, uh, in the, excuse me, in the elite eight, it was Grant Griller, DeAndre Kane, BJ Johnson, Jamil Wilson, and Chris McCullough. So the three non-Syracuse alumni, and then the two quote unquote Syracuse alumni in name, in name only. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure BJ does not have a Syracuse University diploma. He was here three years. Year. Was he here three years? I thought, I he, thought he was here three years. Oh, then he may, actually. I mean, I could be wrong also, but he was def- he was here for either two or three years. I don't remember exactly. He was here from 2013 to 2015, so you are correct, sir. Yeah, so theoretically he could have had enough time to get a diploma here. Yeah, yeah so maybe he is, actually is a Syracuse alumnus. And then, you know, destroyed in LaSalle. Yeah. We should have mentioned, by the way, today, I think Bayheim's army probably would have been better fit if also the active guys on the roster weren't hurt. Will, uh, Jamal, uh, Jamil Wilson had, like, an injury last game, and he was kind of like, all right, today, I know that B.J. Johnson would be, like, play a couple minutes and then was just completely out of the rotation toward, like, until the end of the – it wasn't the Buffalo – it was the, uh, the second game against the Nerd team where he – was on on fire, scored ten points, and then he was just done the rest of the competition there. So would have liked to see a few less injuries on that. And I'm pretty sure even Grant Willer might have been hobbled. You never know based off today's performance. Uh, injuries in Syracuse. Where have we heard that before? Then, oh okay. right, <laughs> Syracuse football. Beautiful segue, sir. Yeah, <laughs> nailed it. If you, I couldn't tell yet. There's not too much to talk about TBT other than that was nice. Hopefully it goes better next year. Hopefully we get to see some cool players again next year. Yep. Now let's get on to what's actually going to start in just a couple of days' time. Fall ball. Steve's favorite part of the year. <laughs> when he has time to cover. <laughs> when he has time to cover it, and also when he has offensive, fresh offensive line footage to look at. This is true. I'm waiting for Mike to, uh, as, soon as, as soon as camp drops, that's usually... <laughs> Finds a way that was to, that was me last year. That was me last year. Was just sending Steve offensive yeah. line footage after uh, <laughs> after practices. It was great. Hey, so, so somebody's got to do it. So mm-hmm. better the veteran. Someone's got to do the dirty work around here. And this year it's going to be Mike and you, Dom. So <laughs> well, we'll be ready to go. Yeah. So so fall ball is going to start with official practice starting on, I believe Wednesday. Uh, it might be on Tuesday as well. Um, I know Babers is holding a overarching uh, introductory press conference on Tuesday. I'm not sure if he's actually going to hold practice or not, but the first practice I know that uh, media will get to talk to the players is going to be on Wednesday, which is usually when first practice is. And that will also be the first time that the Syracuse local media in general gets a chance to talk to Babers since uh since spring and a lot has happened since then <laughs> and um what we saw during the ACC media days last week in Charlotte was that only Marlo Wax was the only person who talked about the um the big event of the summer let's say in in Laquint Allen and um because it, at, at ACC Media Day, it was Babers, Gatsadin, Waxen, and I'm not sure if Schrader was there or not as well. Yeah, I think Schrader was there as well. So, and but only Marlo Wax was there to come. Only Marlo Wax offered any comment about the local Allen situation. And so, I'm going to be. It's going to be interesting to see how much Babers comments on it as well, given what comments John Wildhack on it had on it last week, which was slim to none. Yeah, so we I did the I was able to watch the interview with Syracuse.com and it was super weird because we had pointed this out in Slack. It was like four or five times. He was uh Mike Waters had asked at some in various degrees, like, what are your thoughts on the Quinn Allen situation? And kind of like tried to find angles to make him answer. And he basically was like, The situation happened and we're happy to move on. And he kind of repeated that same sentiment four or five times. So I imagine it'll be you, I, it, there's enough distance where I think it may not be the biggest deal, but then again, this has been something that has dominated what we've been covering and dominated what everyone else has been looking at with Syracuse football is kind of how this whole situation was handled and how it impacted the team. So I think Steve, it'll be a big priority probably. Might be the first question an- uh, asked during that media day. 
So you're I would saying, I, I would like, put down good money that it's the first question asked on me today. hundred percent. And you're saying he just pulled the uh, uh, the Marshawn Lynch. I'm just here so I don't get fined. Let's for- contact our friends at DraftKings. What are the odds that you know? <laughs> Minus two hundred. Yeah. Yep. So. No, that and the situation seemingly has resolved itself, maybe, hopefully. Um, but what's that going to mean on Wednesday when the rubber hits the road? Like, is is he full go? Are they going to slow him up since he couldn't participate? Well, remember also that he's not going to participate just at all until mid-August. And so the oh, first was the what was the date on it? I thought they were reinstating as of August. No, it, they never gave a date. The only uh, thing that we, the only thing that came out from the from from all the reporting and from the Syracuse University official announcement is mid August. So, so we don't know. Is undoubtedly, he's not going to be participating <laughs> on Wednesday. Yeah, so we're not going to see him for probably the first two weeks of the season. Which I would agree. Yeah, which brings up an also an interesting other question. Jawan Price is probably the number two. Is he? I don't know. I don't see I don't see another option as of now. Because let's remember what also happened in that like three week span that Syracuse we were all wondering if Syracuse was actually gonna have the Quint Howard or not for this season is that Syracuse got two running backs in the portal, both JUCO guys. And so now we find ourselves with the 2020 problem of, wow, we have running backs. Hopefully they all stay slash don't get injured and we don't go to the seventh string option. Yeah, so we brought in Destin Hawkins and J.J. Branham, I yes. believe. So a six foot, two hundred pound soft, true sophomore, and a five ten, two hundred five pound redshirt junior, um, to I guess bolster the room that we didn't, we at the time thought needed bolstering, and now apparently does not. So, uh, Branham was a Blinn College and Eastern Michigan product, and then uh, I don't know, I don't remember where. Uh, or the other running back? I yeah, I don't remember either. Was, I forget if it was like, was it New Mexico or am I just making that up? Well, New, New Mexico uh, is uh, Juwan Price. Yeah. Oh, that's right. There we go. Yeah, because all of your transfers belong to us. And apparently all of your New Mexico State transfers belong to us because Jason Simmons Jr. is also from New Mexico State. Yes, he is. Good call on that. Yeah, Destin Hawkins came to us from Menlo Park, California by way of in Low Park, California. <laughs> yeah. Huh. How's he a sophomore and did not play anywhere else? Foothill College. Oh, okay. Did as not I, games at Foothill. As nope. I yeah. as I nod with obvious agreement of knowing exactly where Foothill College is. <laughs> Apparently it is a public community college in Los Altos Hills, California. Wonderful. There we go. Cool. I don't sure. even know where in California that is. I'm sure he'll enjoy Syracuse in three months' time. It's in the greater San Jose area. I'm sure he'll enjoy Syracuse, enjoy Syracuse in three, three months', months time. time. <laughs> yep. Totally the same. Totally the same. Indeed. So, I don't remember how much we talked about this, but now that fall ball is starting and more people are probably retuning back into the podcast. First of all, hi again. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Uh, welcome back. We are back from... Our summer hiatus. Yeah, and for the record, we're also in preseason form, judging by our technical difficulties and the fact that we didn't go live <laughs> until halfway through the broadcast. Yay! <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, so the the big question is with LaQuint Allen out until mid-August, how much is he actually going to be ready to hit the field against Colgate? And for how long can he actually hit the field until... And can he hit the field for that Colgate game? I I would say by his legs, you give him a series or two at Colgate, you give him a half at Western Michigan, and you have him ready to rock for Purdue. That, and that's the good thing about Syracuse scheduling. First of all, God, Syracuse scheduling actually benefiting Hold Syracuse. On. Hold on. Did you just – did you say that? There was a – Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's the, it's the, 
It's possible. Yeah, it's possible for the first five weeks of the season. Yeah, and then it goes rolling over somewhere. <laughs> yeah, because it was possible for the first five weeks of the season, and then it all went to crap. Yeah, yeah. Evidenced by a three thirty kickoff at Yankee Stadium. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, well, if you go first five weeks of the season, you're including the Clemson game, which really? We oh yes, I. Oh yes, over. I am. No, yes, I am. So it's only the first four weeks of the season. <laughs> Because I don't think you would have liked that Clemson game in the fifth week of the season. No, because then you go fifth week of the season, you go Clemson, then North Carolina, then Florida State, then Virginia Tech. That no, you, you go you go by then Thursday night game at Virginia Tech. Oh yeah, good call. Because that's because it's it's not just it's a Virginia Tech game away. First of all, Syracuse like if if it's neutral or a Syracuse home game. This is more Syracuse favored. Yeah. But it's a Virginia Tech game away on a weeknight after a bye week. Which Babers is generally the bye week curse last week last year. Yeah, but that was only Babers' third win in his what now seventh year at Syracuse or sixth year? I forget now. Seventh year at Syracuse. Seven. And that was only his third win after a bye. Some seasons he had two buys. And so that was only his third win considering that after a bye week. And also, this is Virginia Tech away on a weeknight. And for some reason, that Effing Stadium is a lot better on a weeknight than it is on a afternoon game on Saturday. The Enter Sandman will be howling on that night. Indeed. <laughs> Oh, Mariano Rivera is going to be there. Yes. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, Noted Virginia Tech alumni, Mariano Rivera. <laughs> even, so, even, even though that is a that Virginia Tech is one of, I think a f- couple of uh, power. It's only one of like four Power Five schools that doesn't have a made a, a football, basketball, or baseball championship. Huh. I think I really? could be wrong on that. Wow, I learned something today. Yeah. So you talked scheduling. Mm-hmm. And is it is it really that the season is going to come down to those last four games? Is everything going to come down to those last four four games? Yeah, every, the season's going to come down to November. One thousand percent. I think I think the, the the challenge that it's something that I've been actually trying to I think hammer home when I talk to people. What the difference between this year's schedule and last year's schedule is that Syracuse, there was some like lucky wins like that Purdue win, like that game winner, like that's a 50-50 play, some things like that. But it was a, a way easier front uh, schedule on the front, the front half than the back half. This one, they're going to be playing like a Purdue game on the road, even if Purdue is way worse, is still a road game against that conference. You're still going to have to play Clemson, who you haven't really beaten except for that outlier, what now, four or five years ago. You get UNC and Florida State back-to-back on the road. It is so much more difficult to kind of start off with a great record. And then if there's an injury or those injuries start piling up or there's regression to the mean, you have some cushion. Th- this one, there is no cushion. Like, they've got a they, – I think they really – I think me and Mike have talked a lot about that. They, they need to at least be 3-1 and one or 4-1 and one after that Clemson game. So they, I think they got to be Purdue. I think that can't be a toss up. I think army's got to be a clear win. If they can be four and one, I think some of those games in the second half are a lot easier, but this Syracuse team, we know with the injury bug that always happens, it won't be the powerhouse in week three that it is, you know, in mid November necessarily. That's not a guarantee. Which actually means that the important game might not be the Purdue game, but it's going to be the army game. Even better. Um, Yeah. And, and this is where you start to see if that three three five that Rocky Long has now fine-tuned is fine-tuned enough because, because Army is supposed and not supposedly is running a new offense. So can you catch an Army team that is so used to running the triple option out and what was their premier unit for the past couple of years in that triple option? Can you catch them out now? with a supposedly fresh defense that hopefully still has people walking on set defense. Yeah. And that army's always weird. Like, I mean, the service academy, 
service academies in general end up being weird as D1 programs. It was even weird enough, uh, like we played uh, Kings Point, the Merchant Marine Academy, and the Coast Guard Academy at, at the D3 level uh, when I was in college. And it was weird enough playing them because they were all undersized, but they were all the most disciplined and <laughs> did technically exactly <laughs> what you were supposed to do teams to play against god i wonder why yeah go figure but it it's it's just this wild card and for them to switch up that triple option and throw something completely new at a i mean for decades you prepare for army you prepare for one thing much like you used to prepare for georgia tech and you prepared for one thing so it's it's going to be I, I guess we'll at least have three weeks of game tape on whatever new thing is supposed to be, but you know, it, it's, it's always a wild card, which is weird to say for army. And we, and we talk about that defense that Syracuse is supposedly going to have a rocking long. And we got to remember that this is going to be a revamped defense. And what uh, a lot of people talked about at ACC media day is, you know, people who are going to be coming back from injury and in that defense, and a name that got floated around a lot was Stefan Thompson. Now, I don't think a lot of people remember how much of an impact Stefan Thompson just has on this defense in general because he played for half a, a game last year. <laughs> I thought you were just going to say, I don't know how many people remember Stefan Thompson, which could also is be also a true statement. <laughs> That's what got me laughing. I was like, wait a minute. Uh <laughs> How many people do actually remember what he did? Because he had a standout year two years ago, and then the injury bug after, like you said, what was that, half? Maybe it was, half. Yeah, it was it like was, right early yeah. in the second half. Yeah. Yeah. So always great. But if he's back and healthy and functional, uh, that changes a lot of the concerns that I had with that linebacking core. Because here especially if he's functional, then you have two for sure starters. You have Thompson, who's going to start at B-Sam, and Mortal Wax is going to move over to the mic. We know that. That's oh, been a given. We do know that he's moving in. I, I'm i I'm like 95% sure that Mortal Wax is going to be the mic. Because didn't uh, he still play the Will and Caden uh, Bailey came in at the mic for the bowl? Uh, no, because that was, like we saw in the spring, a two-linebacker formation. Um, mm, I probably just, it, well, it, and it's funny because <laughs> I've gotten into the semantic argument with a lot of people a lot of times. But in my brain, yes, it's a, you know, technically you look at it, it's a 4-2, but it's a 3-3-5 with a rolled-up linebacker. Like, it's it's the same thing on if you sent somebody on a stunt. Well, yes, but also, um, like they actually used four defensive linemen instead of, instead of you know an extra like a rolled up linebacker, which is what Stefan Thompson is going to be, right? Because that's what he usually is. Um, because Syracuse just didn't have the linebackers. Oh, we were they were so thin at linebacker last year. <laughs> there was a huge even like a Derek McDonald just coming out of nowhere. It was like, oh, where'd he come from? And then he got a pick in that first game. It was like, okay, maybe he's something. So, but <laughs> okay, I think, we love him now. It's yeah, fine. we love I remember, him. But, I remember Derek McDonald was subbing in for Stefan Thompson. Yeah, <laughs> and now he was playing Fulster. So, uh, also the thing with Stefan Thompson, I think he balances good coverage with I think he's like athletic enough to stop the run because I think I think Syracuse actually I think will be fine from a coverage perspective I think their challenge is going to be they really struggled in the second half of the season with stopping the run game the uh, the BC game in particular Wake Forest they they didn't do a good job stopping the middle of the field that to an extent opened up bigger uh, especially some of those ACC quarterbacks just bigger plays from throwing the ball. So I'm hoping that that's kind of my thing. I'm hoping defensively this, this team always ranks defensively pretty well the past couple of years, but stopping the run, I think, especially with how talented the ACC is at the top is going to be probably a, a big must. If this team is going to be above six wins and get a bowl game. And someone who can help with that. And I Steve, you can, I think you can talk about this. If someone who can help with that is another guy who's coming back from injury and Terry Lockett, which is another, Hey, remember this guy? Mm -hmm. uh, because we didn't get to see Terry Lockett in ACC play. He was injured, I think, during the Virginia game. And so having him back for to help the run defense is going to be big because as much as we love Kevon Darton, 
he's not because of him being an atypical size for a defensive lineman. There's a reason why the run defenses were better because our starting nose tackle was an atypical size for a defensive lineman. Yeah. And when you add into that, the, the addition of uh, Ingram from uh, Alabama at 300 plus uh, who I believe has been working at tackle. I'm not, I believe he's been working at end. Or, sorry, in my brain, I'm like yeah. tackle and or two tackles and a nose versus yeah. It's all yeah. It's all you know what you what you feel like calling it, but yeah, he's been working more outside than at the nose, and it's um kind of crazy to see. But if you're getting Lockett back at six three two eighty, who he's listed two eighty in the spring, who knows what he'll actually come into for camp and whatnot. But um, especially coming off injury, he might be able to bulk up a little bit more. But you know you've got you're you're starting to get a little more decent size in there, which is an issue we had last year, especially as thin as we were, and then an issue we had the prior year, even though we did have some depth. Uh, there's not going to be any more um, 217 pound Steve Linton's uh, flitting around the field. Oh my god, that was that <laughs> standpoint, which he did work, but uh, I mean he's an outside linebacker; he's not a defensive end. In the ACC, at least. Uh, also, welcome to the Disloyal Idiots podcast. Uh, one of the few publishing uh, media locations that will be very interested to look at the roster page when it releases for all the reasons you didn't expect we'd be excited to look at the roster page for. <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't admit to the fact that at one point I had a spreadsheet that I would just put in the weights and see what the differentials were. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if somehow we got like a like an article about like okay the biggest pluses and minuses in weight. Don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> we'll so look out for that on our we'll look out for that on our sister website dot <laughs> com. <laughs> um, but that's the defense. Um, we talked a lot about. I guess know, you know we're still we're still playing around with the defensive line though. Yeah, there's a lot of names there, like and there's and a lot of names. Yeah, we could we can sl- continue to talk about that. Yeah, I I don't want to beat a any sort of horse, but um, you know, Okachuku is the guy people remember. Chase Simmons is a guy who made a name for himself late in the season, at, and is clocking in at you know six four two forty five, but probably beefed up from that. Uh, Ingraham, as mentioned, uh, Dennis Hawkes, Terry Lockett. Jaleel Smith, Richard Perry, Ty Gordon, Kevin Jobity, again, made a name for himself late in the season and probably, you know, uh, was was working in the offseason. Uh, Francois Nolton, Elijah Wright, who is back. Uh, was he injured too last year? I don't remember. It was either him or Fuentes Cundiff that was. No, Fuentes Cundiff was the guy who was playing. Okay, so Wright might have been injured mm-hmm. and then Belzer Bassett. Uh, so we get the all-name team uh, back mm-hmm. in action. So there's a lot of guys there that I whether it's whether it's from what they've done on the field or from potential we saw in recruiting videos that that might be one of our deeper deeper positions. It is a lot of raw. Ta- it is a lot of raw talent, especially once you get past the supposed starters of Okachukwu, Lockett, and probably Ingraham also. Yeah, and then it's. Who knows of what you would see? And there's also a real chance that Ingram doesn't start in. It's, you know, Hawkes or yeah. Jobity or or uh, Chase Simmons. Or, or Chase Simmons. Yeah, yeah. Because that that's a real possibility. Because also we are the kings of, uh, at least Steve is going to be the king of. Okay, when is the two deep coming out? We're going to have a fun time studying that. There's a reason I do that article every Monday. Well, even though it doesn't change after uh, <laughs> after about the third week, there's no change whatsoever, but I'll still write it up. Well, well we changed a lot last year because of injuries. <laughs> right. Ch- changed out of necessity. Mm-hmm. I do agree, though, with Steve. There's a lot of, even if there's a lot of raw talent, it is talent, though, which is good. I think the there's just a lot of good names, I think, on there from like the, the get-to-know-you previews we've done. Just either they've already flashed potential with Syracuse on the field toward the end of last year. I think that was a, a sneaky good thing, even though we kind of tailed off with some of those losses. It did give a lot of these younger guys some reps, but the incoming town that's also coming in, I think there's just more athleticism and size, broadly speaking. And we're hoping that 
that can just translate, I think, especially hopefully some more sacks. I think we, we did a good job forcing turnovers for the most part, maybe not so much in the second half, but pressuring the quarterback, I think, hopefully will be a, a big priority. Well, and as Steve and I have said, like, you know, the defensive line isn't made to create turnovers in the 3-3-5. That's just a nice additive. That's where you want your linebackers to happen, you know, to create those turnovers. And um, luckily for Syracuse, a kind of the same situation happens in linebacker where you have a lot of raw, unproven talent in the linebacker room because outside of Wax and Thompson, it's kind of a toss-up of who's going to be your third starting linebacker. Is it going to be McDonald? Is it going to be Leon or Lowry? Is it going to be Anwar Sparrow? Is it going to be Caden Bailey? You have a lot of options there on who you want your third uh, linebacker to be at the will to take over for Wax. And from what we've just seen just in general and how the 3-3-5 works, whoever plays that will is going to get a lot of opportunities at creating havoc and causing turnovers. Yeah. Yeah. So you want sex, Dom, but on the other side of things, we want to prevent them. And and this is where Dom and I take a seat back and let Steve talk about offensive line. Well, well, no, it's it's more uh, Christian. You called it. Uh, I'm looking at this roster. There's a lot of threes at the start of these weights for the offensive linemen, which we had. <laughs> I told you we like looking at the roster page <laughs> for the reasons you don't like it. Uh, there, uh, Josh Aloha is up to three thirty four. Like maybe he won't get run over as much at center then at that weight. Um, like they're they're. I mean, we have to start. We we have to start with the barometer stick, which is Kalen Ellis. What is he at now? Uh, Kalen Ellis is listed as we're still sub four hundred. We're three seventy five. Um, Austin Kawhi, the other Hawaiian. Is at 260. He's the lightest uh, offensive lineman on the squad. Literally, I was gonna, all- say, I was gonna say it's the spam, but clearly, you know, <laughs> it factors it, in it for different. Balance, so it fa- factors in for uh, different uh, uh, weight classes, I suppose. Yeah, but like, like hey, Austin Kawhi, Austin Kawhi still qualifies for a heavyweight belt. Oh, 100 uh, <laughs> percent. Lysander Moyolo is at 360. Um, oh, all lane team, good. Yeah. Leish is 323, Aloha is, is 234. And this is even without Wallabaugh also. Wallabaugh's at 315. Yeah. Joe Cruz is up to 302. Joe Moore is at 306. Wait, did this, wow. did this just get updated? I think so. That's why I was so surprised. The, the, oh, those are, the, that's a lot of 300 pluses for, that, for Syracuse offensive line. Existed. So this did actually just get updated. I'm not sure when this got updated because I see Braden, I see Braden Davis, the transfer quarterback um, right. from South Carolina on here. So yeah, this this did did this did just get updated. Say that three times fast. So Trevion Mack coming in at 3052. So that's nice. Jaden Bass, 309. We got a lot of big boys. Enrique Cruz is up to 311. That's good. Sweet Jesus. Imagine your tackle. Imagine one of your tackles being at 311. We can um, get all the help on that end. So, um, now the the question, and this is this is something I lived through. When you get up above 300, moving can become an issue. So hopefully, yes. this is not the issue. Uh, what was Bergeron at his Bergeron heaviest? at his heaviest? I believe was. High twos. I don't know if he ever cracked. Yeah, I thought it was like two seventy, two eighty, maybe low two ninety, but it was like definitely. I don't no, think he, he was definitely either. Uh, yeah, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, Steve, as well. But it definitely felt like he was on the bigger side oh, for being a tackle. Too. Yeah, and oh, so really? and yeah. yeah, so he was definitely on the bigger side for being a tackle, which is why I think you saw in the draft a lot of teams when he shot up draft boards were considering him at guard instead of tackle. And yeah. I think that, like when you heard that Cowboys room footage of them potentially taking him in the first round, they were referring to Bergeron as a guard instead of a tackle. And that's probably where the Falcons are going to play Bergeron as well. Which if he can move like he did a tackle at guard, then more power to him. Yeah. Um, But then that's where you also have the, like you said, the conundrum of, okay, well, Enrique Cruz at 311 coming in now. 
is good, but like how much of it do, do you want two, 300 pounders on the left side? Since it's probably going to be Cruz and Ellis on the left side. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, no. Like for the offensive linemen that are on the offensive linemen that are under 300, you have Mark Petrie, Patrick Alberga, Ted Olson, Wes Ho, and Austin Kwai. Yeah. And that's it. Last year we had. Eight guys over 300. This year we have 12. And, and so Davis and Bergeron leaving. And so the guards might be okay, but as we saw last year, especially right tackle is can be a revolving door. Yeah. And that's, I, I'll be curious as to who ends up winning that out between more. Uh, right now, I think it's what more Cruz or who knows what the, the new guys. I thought, no, I thought Cruz was starting at left tackle. Other Cruz. Oh, Joe Cruz, right. Um, I, forgot, I forgot we have two Cruz. Yeah, we have all the Cruises. Uh, like, who knows what Moyolo is doing? Jaden Bass, Gianre uh, Reed, I believe, was a transfer into. If I'm, oh, yep, there he is. Um, I don't know whether he's playing internal or external. Internal or external line. Wow. Uh, <laughs> In- yeah. yeah. Here we go. Uh, like I said, <laughs> is that a football form? <laughs> Is that a football term that you used <laughs> in your day? No, that's the biology floating in. Oh, wonderful. Uh, Congratulations. So, so yeah, uh, Reed was actually a NJCAA second-team All-American, which is nice. Uh, well, yeah, I know a lot of people were high on Reed, especially. I knew, um, I, I, was, yeah. I, I knew people were high on him. I didn't realize he was in the NJCAA championship game, which is also nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, 6'3", 315. So he's got a shot like that. That right tackle is just going to be, we'll figure it out, I guess, at this point. Like, I know a lot of people had Joe Moore penned in there, but after what we saw in the spring, I don't know. And same thing with Wollaba at center, like him just coming in, who knows? So more to come there. Uh, I've never, uh, never put too much stake without seeing seeing actual footage on these guys so uh here's to here's putting this out to mike make sure you get me footage (laughs) (laughs) i'll make sure to tell him (laughs) sounds good but just go to the just go to the end of the field yeah they're usually in in an end zone now that we're done with offensive line corner is there anything else on the offense we want to talk about yeah i think i think there is because there's the I, I know just in the amount of the preseason, quote unquote, preseason shows that we've done, there really has been a, a player that we haven't really talked about too much in detail that we probably should, because he probably more likely than not is actually the key to Syracuse having a repeat of at least having the same success as last season. And his name is Garrett Schrader. Yes. Because. You, the the flashy thing to talk about is Sean Tucker's gone. What's going to happen at running back? Kennel Runde gets it and repeat what he did last year. When in reality, a lot of this just falls on Schrader. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of the offense is unlocked through him. And we saw last year, once his ability to move was affected by injury, the production started to wane. Especially throwing the ball, too. He was wildly inefficient those last couple games. Uh, and pretty big mistakes, too. Uh, just some numbers on that, because we, we've done like some bit. My, Mike dug up the hole that he had the second-best completion percentage in the ACC, which I actually found pretty surprising. Uh, he had a 65% completion percentage this past year, and I think he was in like the mid-50s in 21 on higher volume, too, which is good. He had 453 rushing yards and nine touchdowns running the ball, and then he had 17 touchdowns to seven interceptions in 2022. So it's some pretty good stuff. Yeah, but with the, and then the interesting will be to break down those numbers by half. I agree. Um, because I think if you go post-Clemson game, it'll be very interesting to see how those numbers are affected, um, which is something I could probably do if I feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> but most likely I'm going to tell you or Mike to do that because 
that just seems like a hair pulling trigger that I don't want to do. <laughs> just I do to love like sell sheets. So. Great, Tom. Um, <laughs> because I, I, because what we saw last year, especially like once Schrader got injured, once Carlos still Rio Wilson got in, who was still very green, like that, the offense doesn't click as well if Schrader isn't moving that well. And you got to remember also, we didn't see any of Schrader in fall ball because of that elbow surgery that he had. And so, I mean, in spring in spring practice. So now we also get to see Schrader for the first time since the pinstripe bowl. Right. And post-surgery. And post-surgery, yeah. That's going to be interesting. It's because especially I think – I'm not going to call it like regression in the mean, but he he going from like the mid 50s on completion percentage over almost 65 is a big jump. Do you wonder can he maintain even like a 60 to 65 percent completion percentage this coming year? Because the 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 one I guess like predicament that I've never kind of like solved is I think part of the reason why Schrader was so successful is that I think when Sean Tucker broke out in 2021, it kind of opened up the defense. It kind of or opened up the offense a lot to Everyone, like there was a lot more focus on Tucker that kind of gave Gatson a run to shine more. It gave Schrader an ability to scramble more out of the pocket. It, it really also, I think Schrader to an extent really ties in with how LaQuinn Allen performs because we've seen and discussed for hours on end the the potential he's got, but we've also have a, such a limited sample compared to what we have with Tucker in 21 and then leading into 22. So I think, but I agree. I think Schrader from as much as defense does matter, we we you, the numbers show that you still have to have a good defense. You still also need to be able to be, score twenty eight to thirty four points. I would say at a minimum against some of these, especially if you're Syracuse, you want to be able to do that against a Wake Forest or a Boston College. Let's say for some of those middle of the pack teams. And and then the interesting thing will also be how Schrader. Um, works with Jason Beck because you got to remember also Syracuse this past season, a coaching overhaul now Syracuse has a new offensive coordinator in Jason Beck, who now really this is going to be a first full season and having the main job, even though he's worked a lot under Robert and a, he knows basically that system pretty well. Now this is, you know, Jason Beck's team and he's no longer just going to be coaching the quarterbacks. So how does Schrader, and the offense kind of gel with Jason Beck, which is, and how does Jason Beck's offense look? Because I think a lot of what could be contributed to Schrader's success as well is how much Anae simplified what Schrader needed to do last year. Since we're on the subject real quick of Garrett Schrader, should we get into his media comment during the ACC yeah. mm-hmm. media days about this? I, I'll get the pull up the exact quote. He said, we are deeper than we've ever been since I've been here in reference to the offense, are we buying or selling on that take? I definitely have, definitely have running back. Yes. On offensive lines, there are definitely bodies, which for Syracuse for the first time in a while is a little, is a rarity. And I think, yeah, the same can be said at, at wide receiver. It's, there are bodies in the room. It's just that the amount of unproven talent and all those rooms is really, really high, which is really what's going to flip this season. Yep. Sounds about right. That's that's kind of where I was going. It's a, it, it's a very, very specific comment that is both true and misleading at the same time. Like, there, there's, there's depth so, in the physical sense. So what you're saying is Garrett Shooter's already perfected coach speak. Yeah, 100%. He's there. Great. Mission um, accomplished. Well, while we're on that, we might as well talk about the depth and the other positions we haven't talked about. Wide receiver and tight end. Remember tight ends a position? Yeah, I mean, you still have those? Yeah. We have a lot of them, actually. We yeah. do, actually, seriously. And because we're talking about tight ends, we might as well. What does Syracuse do with David Clement? Because... Does Syracuse actually throw to him? That's going to be an interesting thing because a lot of people in the, at least in media, are talking a lot about David Clement. I'm actually not buying the hype just because I'm in the new offensive coordinator or what 
Syracuse just hasn't thrown to the tight end. Call Rondé Gatson what you want. I consider him a wide receiver. So, like, is Syracuse actually going to use David Clement? That's going to be interesting. If I'm not mistaken, too, also coming off a knee injury this past year. So he missed, like, a lot of the of the season in 22. So he's also going to be coming, coming back from that, which is going to factor that in too. And I mean, he looked good in the spring practices um, that we saw, like again, the media, a lot of the media reports saying that he was getting more involved. It'll be interesting to see. And then it'll also be interesting to see like what happens at wide receiver. We're expecting it to be Isaiah Jones, Damian Alford, I think Demarcus Adams as your ones, with actually Alford in the slot, in in the Y, or no, in like the in like the Z two uh, spot with um, Adams and Isaiah Jones as your X and Ys. But then behind those three, again, it's a big question mark. Who would you say out of the? mainstay or your Christian, your projected number one receivers is the biggest X factor on that receiving core. Isaiah Jones. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. He, because he looked really good last year before that Purdue defender tore his arm off at the end of the game. Um, because, because Syracuse, because what's Syracuse hasn't had, a X receiver receiving threat since Tristan Jackson. And that's kind of been a, a hallmark of Dino Babers offenses. Yeah. Not just like the new guys that have come in and the new offensive coordinators that come in. Just in general, Dino Babers offense here at Syracuse has always had a successful one, at least has always had that one X guy. Who's just going to get a ton of yards. And yes, Ronnie Gatson had a lot of those, but he's playing as a slot receiver. When you think about the guys who had great seasons under Dino Babers, Anatawo, Steve Ishmael, Jamal Custis, um, Tristan Jackson, they're all ex-receivers. Yeah. And Syracuse hasn't had that since Tristan Jackson. And that was 2019. So we're coming up on four years of not having ba- Basically, my whole college career, we haven't had an ex-receiver. That's Congratulations. <laughs> well, my whole college career – where my my ESF career we had Greg Robinson so even without oh, congratulations <laughs> so that's going to be the that's going to be interesting one is because it's for me it seems like Isaiah Jones is going to be that the X to Marcus Adams is going to be at a Y and then get Ed and Alfred is going to be Z superscript two so yeah, that makes sense and what it's ish. <laughs> Yeah, so that'll be interesting to see with Jones. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully Schrader can actually hit him because, as we saw again, also last year, Schrader's a lot better when he's throwing over in the middle instead of to the sideline. Yeah, and I mean, maybe post surgery that gets slightly adjusted. One could hope. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, we know what Steve is looking for. We know what Steve is looking for um, when fall ball starts on Wednesday. It's going to be the offensive line. I'm going to look at Schrader and see, okay, is he is his mobility back? Is his arm feeling okay after the surgery? Tom, what are you looking for? What's one thing you're looking for um, when fall ball gets started up again? Yeah, Chris, I'm going to be honest. I'll steal your answer here, but I think Schrader, just given the magnitude of this season starts and ends with him, you're thinking like we saw when Schrader was productive up to that Clemson game, the offense was way above average. And when you have a good defense and you're able to score like that, it, it was good enough to be as successful as Syracuse was. And simultaneously when the train fell off the tracks, when Schrader kind of was hollowed toward the end, the offense wasn't as good. So as much as it's like a cop, I think looking at Schrader and seeing, that's going to determine that do we need to go to some of these backup options? It's going to determine how do you scheme around him? Do you go more run heavy? Do you try to get make things easier for Schrader, which is probably, I'd say, what Beck might do and what Babers will do. So I'm going to have to go with Schrader. It's going to make or break this year. And what Syracuse's ceiling will ultimately be? 
Well, but it'll be interesting when fall ball all starts up, uh, assuming it's starting up Wednesday. If it's starting Tuesday, yay, an extra day of football. But that'll do it for our first first fall ball episode, pre-fall ball, pre-Syracuse, the pre-preseason podcast of Syracuse football with a bit of alumni flavoring mixed in there as well with the basketball team. Um, Tom, thank you so much. The Syracuse soccer uh, schedule dropping. Oh, Andy and I talked about that last week when you were oh. here. So oh. watch the podcast last week. <laughs> Damn it, we get Syracuse soccer news, and I'm not even here for it. Yeah. <laughs> Syracuse is on the road against the three uh, North Carolina schools since NC State. That sucks, and that's all you need to know. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Well, that's all for the This Loyal Idiots uh, podcast on the Fans for Sports Nation Network. Thank you so much. Um, everyone for listening thanks dom for coming in to chat with us again yep of course always waiting we're, we're looming on the horizon with football i think the the downside to Bayheim's army being out by the way is that we are deprived for at least another month without football and another three months without basketball so i'll be waiting <laughs> don't worry we'll be back next week when mike inevitably because i'm assuming mike's going to be in syracuse if he's not then we'll just have to rely on Emily Leckler from Syracuse.com providing us with Twitter footage of what the first 10 minutes of practice looks like. And then uh, diving into deep conclusions on what that means for this season based on 10 minutes of practice footage. Oh, yeah, we, will. Never, we do love doing that. It sounds fun. We would never do that, Christian. <laughs> no, we haven't done that for the past three years on this podcast that we've run this. Anyway, thanks again, everyone, for listening to us. If you're watching on Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, wherever we're streaming to you, thank you so much for watching, for listening on on any of your podcast networks of choice, whether it be Spotify, Apple Music. Drop us a like, rating, give us five stars, leave a comment so we can trick the algorithm into expanding the Ottoman Empire. Syracuse Athletics is about to kick off. We're about a month or so away until... The athletic season is back in the full swing, and it's going to feel good. Until then, we'll be here every Sunday at around 8 p.m. to hopefully satisfy your needs about Syracuse athletics. And I guess all that's left to say is go Orange. Go Orange. Go Orange.